James chapter 3. This morning we're going to be talking about effective ways of helping people deepen their faith. And I'm going to share with you, according to James chapter 3, the secret to effective teaching. How do you help someone grow a deeper, stronger, and richer faith? What is the best way to influence someone for the better? You can spend a lot of time thinking about that. And you can spend a lot of time pondering all the different ways. You might, you might have someone in your head that, that you really would like to help right now. You would like to encourage and you would like to teach them. There's a whole lot of different ways of approaching that. But I want to find what, what, what James has to say about this. So in James chapter 3, a lot of us know, uh, know about it, um, in, in, with, with regards to what it has to say about teachers. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that as such, you will incur a stricter judgment. And, and the tongue is a fire, right? It's, it's destructive. Well, let's, let's take a moment to, to just consider the context of James chapter 3, though. Who, who is James written to? If you look at, at the first chapter in verse 1, it's written to the, the let's, let's just read it. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. I believe he's talking about Israelites, about Jews, the twelve tribes scattered abroad. So at the letter that's written to a primarily Jewish audience, there's, there's a lot of things that have, are, are, are pertaining to the Jewish culture and, and, and what they would have known about and their background. One thing that I'd like, to, like us to, to consider as we read through James chapter 3 is uh, the Pharisees. Growing up as a Jew, you would have had... Uh, as a model of righteousness and, and an image that, that you wanted to, to follow in the footsteps of and be like, uh, you, had, you had the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders and, and the, the teachers of their time. If you remember what Jesus had to say about the Pharisees and the scribes, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't very good. They had all the right pieces in place, but their hearts were twisted and they were blind and they were unfeeling. They bound on others things that they themselves didn't obey. They were meticulous in their teaching and in their doctrine, and yet they were careless and they were insincere in their hearts and in their devotion to God. That is where a Pharisee is, is coming from, and that is, that is what Jews grew up seeing as the, the righteous <laughs> part of their people, the, 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 the role model. And so imagine becoming a Christian, and now you have some, some, some habits, maybe, from looking at, at what the scribes and the Pharisees did, the hypocrisy that was rampant. Um, you, you think there might be some bad habits that you would have to break free of and work on. I think James goes to war against this, this principle. So before we get into chapter 2, 
just, or in chapter 3, I just want to read uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 14. He says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. The scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. In this section, you can hear, you can hear a little bit of, of James' point about what Pharisees like to do. They, they will say something and then not do anything. Uh, go in peace, be warm, be filled. And they, they wouldn't do anything to take care of those needs. And really the point that James is making is, is pretty simple. If you believe something, then you're going to act according to that belief. And it's, it's kind of a common sense principle. And we like to use this passage when we're talking to Baptists because they, they have this faith-only doctrine. And, and you just have to believe. But, but James redefines what belief is. Belief is something that reaches down and it changes your actions. If you believe that you have cancer, you're going to seek treatment. If you don't seek treatment, then you really don't believe that you have cancer or you've got a death witch. One of the two, right? So there's, there's this principle that's, that's kind of common sense. And you've got to think, why is, why is James writing this to these people? If it is common sense and... and there might be at least one guy who is saying otherwise. Uh, why is this here? I think James is laying down a foundational principle that he is going to really drive home in chapter 3. That actions speak louder than words. It's not just about what you say, but often it's what you do that reveals who you really are and what you really believe. With that said, let's get into chapter 3. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. 
Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity, and the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. And from the same mouth come forth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. He starts off by warning them, let not many of you become teachers. First off, the easy question, teachers of what? What is he talking about? Is he saying, let, let not many of you become elementary school teachers? Let, let not many of you become I don't know, <laughs> driving educational instructors? Uh, the context here, let not many of you become teachers of God's will. Right? But within the context of the Jew, if, if you were a Jew and someone said teacher to you, what would be the first thing that came to your mind? The rabbis, right? You had the Pharisees and you had the scribes. And we've already been talking about them and we've already kind of dealt a little bit with them in chapter 2. And what was their problem? It was, it was the hypocrisy. It was the words. It was the empty talk. The lie that they were righteous. Let not many of you become Pharisees. Let not many of you become empty talkers. Let not many of you become hypocrites. For we all stumble in many ways. If you're going to teach God's word, a perfect word, how are you not going to be a hypocrite? If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. It's one of the flaws about teaching someone by, by, by just speech, by words, is that, is that what you're saying can, can often be not in accordance with what you do and with what your heart is. So in the context of what we're trying to learn this morning, there's, there's what I think the first problem is when you're trying to teach, when you're trying to help someone 
be righteous, have a deeper faith. The problem with, with doing that by, by, by instructing them through, through, through words alone is that, is that you can be a hypocrite. Be careful when you're trying to teach or encourage someone that you don't allow yourself to lie against the truth and think that you are perfect while you are instructing someone else. How easy is it for us to present a false image of who we are through speech alone? Talk is cheap, but a proud mouth can buy an image for itself that will be respected by other people. Second problem with speech and with the tongue is that it can cause damage to the ones who hear it. I don't know how much more I need to say about this. Um, we've all been there. You've had things said to you that cut deep. Things that discourage, things that demoralize, things that you can't forget. Chances are you've said things that you wish you could take back. And how easy it is to say those things. That is the second pitfall. Talk is cheap, but no amount of money can repair the damage that the tongue can do. The third reason is that it's fickle. With it we bless God and with it we curse man who is made in his image. Um, it, is, it is very easy to be in, inconsistent with our mouths and with our speech and what we say. And I think if you really pay a lot of attention, you, you realize that That, that your speech is a lot of times dictated by the people that you're around and the things that you're doing. And it, it changes pretty drastically depending on your circumstances. And what happens is that as soon as we get a small shift in our priorities, our speech is the first thing to show that. I mean, I, I know I'm guilty of this, but, but have you guys ever caught yourself being really passionate when you're talking about like a sports team or like your hobby or this, this TV show that you've been watching, you're like, you're so fired up about it. And you realize like, I, I'm being way more passionate about this topic than I am when I talk to people about the Bible, when I talk to people about God and his grace, his son. Those little times where our priorities slip and our mouths are, the, are, are typically the things that show that first. That's not good. <laughs> not when we're trying to teach people. Not when we're trying to help them. Not when we're trying to speak to them and encourage them. We can't afford those mistakes. So if it's not teaching through, through our speech, if, if we can't 
encourage uh, as effectively through just what we say, then what, what are we supposed to do? James chapter 3, pick up the reading again in verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Verse 13 makes the contrast clear. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good deeds, uh, by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Not through speech. Show it. Show, don't tell. The same principle that we saw at the end of chapter 2 with faith and works. Actions speak louder than words. If you want to help someone, if you really want to teach, then show them. What James is really asking in this verse is, you, you think you're smart. You think that you've got it figured out. You think that you've got something that this person needs to work on. Or, or, or you think that you've, you've, uh, you're, you're ready to start teaching somebody. All right. Then, then live it. Be an example to that person rather than just telling them. Don't let your tongue get a foothold. Don't let it inflate your ego and your sense of self-worth. If you are sincere in wanting to teach and help your brother or sister be righteous, then live the life that is righteous in the sight of God. Now I want to spend some time thinking about verse 18. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is a really easy verse to memorize and I would really encourage you guys to do so. And as this week goes on, if you could just repeat it to yourself as often as you remember to. When you wake up, the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Repeat it to yourself over and over and over again and think about it. There is so much in this verse. And the more you think about it, the more you're going to get out of it. First of all, uh, in, in verse 18, we're talking about planting seeds. 
Think about teaching like planting seeds. You're not trying to, to instill or, or, or I, I don't know what exactly the right word is. You're not trying to make the person be righteous. You're not trying to force them to be righteous in the moment. All right? You're simply planting a seed. Your, your role is pretty passive. All right? you're, you're planting this small idea that someday is going to grow. It's going to grow more and more and it's going to blossom and then eventually it's going to bear fruit. And what is that fruit? That fruit is righteousness. We get this idea that it takes time, doesn't it? And it's sown in peace. We might be tempted to think that it's, it's the extreme gestures that, that really matter. If you wanted to help someone, if you wanted to teach them God's way, you might think that it's, it's some uh, a pointed conversation or, or uh, some kind of confrontation where you stepped in and you corrected something. I think the idea that we get from this verse is that it's, it's the most helpful when you're able to, to spend time building a concept in someone's life and helping them in small ways, bits at a time, through your example and through your action. I want you to think for a moment about an individual or a couple of individuals who, who have been the most help to you as a Christian. Who have been the greatest encouragement to your faith and your walk as a servant of God? Can't read your mind. Um, but I can probably tell you who you're not thinking about. Um, you're probably not thinking about Barry Kirchival. I have all the love and the respect in the world for Barry Kirchival. I think his lessons that he brought were, were tremendous and they were helpful. But he was just here for a week. And he preached a gospel meeting. The people that, that you're thinking about right now are probably people who took time and effort to build a deep relationship with you. To gently, peacefully form a relationship with you. To influence you for the better. Maybe that's a close friend or a family member. I don't know. But maybe it's time for you to be that for somebody else. See, what I think a lot of times happens, we, we got this situation. Uh, 
Mike likes to garden, uh, so, so we'll use this illustration. <laughs> um, if, if, if you wanted corn for lunch today, and this morning you, you woke up and you were like, I want some corn, and fresh from the garden, that's, that's specifically where I want the corn from. And so you go outside to your yard, and you look at your yard, and um, I mean, you didn't, you didn't plant a garden. It was just grass. You didn't till, and, and you didn't plant. You didn't, you didn't weed it, and you didn't fertilize it, and you didn't do any of the work that goes into a garden. And could you imagine being surprised? Wow, there's not any corn in that garden. No. Nobody, no, nobody would be surprised because you didn't, you didn't do the work that it takes to get corn from a garden. You had to do all that work like, like five, six months ahead of time, right? Do we do that with people? Do we knock on Christians' doors at some times and, and, and they've been baptized for a year now and, and we, we come up to them and we're like, why aren't you doing this? And, and why, why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you living as a Christian? Why are you still struggling with these things? And yet you never take the time in the first place to build a relationship with that Christian. To help them. You never took the time to plant. Should that be a surprise to us? I was talking to an elder um, earlier last week, and, and he said to me, it's amazing how many times the first interaction that a Christian has with the elders of his church is when the elders are confronting him and trying to change or, or, or rebuke him. They have no other basis of, of any kind of relationship. If, the, if, if, if that happens to elders... <laughs> the ones who are experienced, knowledgeable, and, 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 and the ones that, that we look to for leadership, you know that we do the same thing. So my encouragement and my point from James chapter 3 is work to build relationships with each other. It takes time and it takes effort, and it takes energy to build a relationship with someone. It doesn't come free. You're not going to be able to do it without breaking a sweat. But that is how we plant seeds. The little conversations that we have may not even seem important to you. They matter. They build on a foundation of a relationship. They plant small seeds that someday are going to grow up into a principle, into a concept. It's going to grow into a habit that will grow into fruit of righteousness.
so after, after church services, we got like 30 minutes tops with each other, right? And we average, we average around 45 to 50 people every Sunday. If you do the math, that's not a lot of time to build relationships with everybody here. That is not a lot of time. But are you going to leave early so that you can catch the Sunday afternoon football game? You're going to leave early because you've been waiting to do this one hobby that you haven't been able to do all week and you just, you're really excited to just finally get to do it? Of course not. Not when I say it like that. But what happens is that we devalue. We devalue the importance of spending time with each other. And of, of taking those small opportunities that seem insignificant in the moment. To build relationships with each other. To plant seeds in the gentleness and in wisdom. I had uh, the scripture reading um, a really obvious, uh, very, very well-known uh, verse, John 3.16. And I wanted, I wanted Jerry to read that so that we could see how God forms relationships with us. We were talking about that in class, right? We were talking about covenants and how, and how the relationships that we have with God, are, well, the structure has been more or less the same throughout his word. But John 3.16, you can, you can quote it from memory, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave. God loved us and he wanted the relationship first. And then he gave. Merely to extend the opportunity to have a relationship with you. We already talked about in, in chapter 2 what belief is. Belief is, it's entwined with action. If you truly believe, you will act. That's the invitation that I, I want to extend to anybody here who isn't a Christian. God gave his son so that you can believe in him and on his promises. God gave his son because he loved you enough to give. To want a relationship with you. And the opportunity there is, is right here, right now. We can baptize you. If you're a Christian and, and you need help, 
then allow the Christians here to form a deeper relationship with you. Allow the Christians here to help you, to pray for you. We'd be, we'd be overjoyed to be able to do that. Uh, if, if you're one of those two groups, then, then please come forward as we stand and sing.